Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. What a blessing it is to be together this morning to worship God, to give together, to sing together, and now to study together. I'm going to invite you to take out your Bible, please, and make your way over into Acts, the 26th chapter. Will you make your way to Acts chapter 26, please? As a congregation, we are going to be reading from Acts, the 26th chapter. In our Bible reading this week and in our monthly sermon from Acts, I want to say some things about some verses in this particular chapter. I hope these things will help you and bless you as you read the Word of God this week. In Acts, the 26th chapter, beginning with verse number 24, after the Apostle Paul gives a very powerful speech, to some very important political figures. The scripture says in verse number 24, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. The king stood up and the governor and, and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I almost, I almost did it. I almost did it, almost. I almost made the basketball team. I almost made the soccer team. I almost made the football team. I almost got married. I almost mustered up enough courage to start that business. I almost suffered through all of the Star Wars movies. You ever said, you ever said any of those kind of things before? You ever almost did something before? The Bible says the King Agrippa almost did something. The Bible says King Agrippa almost became a Christian. He almost became a disciple. He almost became part of the kingdom of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. But the implication of the text is he didn't. He didn't become a disciple of Jesus Christ like so many people in our world today, Agrippa wasn't fully persuaded to give his life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the question is, the question is why? Why wasn't Agrippa fully persuaded? Why wasn't Agrippa convicted enough to become a follower of Jesus? Why would he say to the Apostle Paul, I almost was persuaded to become a Christian? Well, as we begin trying to find an answer to that question, if you don't mind, let's just take a moment or two to review what's going on here in the context of this chapter. You see, here in the context of Acts 26, we need to understand that the Apostle Paul is once again making a defense in front of some very important people. 
He's making a defense in front of some important political figures after standing in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin Council on bogus and false charges in Jerusalem. And after surviving an assassination attempt and after being moved to Caesarea Maritima by the Romans for his own protection, the Apostle Paul, if you remember in Acts 24, is able to appear before the governor Felix. In Acts 24, remember, he, he stands before Felix and he's able to personally tell Felix that he is not this troublemaker the Jews are making him out to be. He is not someone who intentionally caused problems and, and started riots and rebelled against the empire and was, and was trying to desecrate the temple. Instead, the real reason why the Jews hated him so much was because he was a follower of Jesus. It was because he was a follower of the way. It was because he, he preached to people that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah and the Lord had been raised from the dead and he had provided salvation to all people. The Apostle Paul makes a, an amazing defense. When he stands before Felix, in fact, in addition to making a defense, he also preached the gospel to Felix. He also told Felix about the righteousness of God. And about the need to have self-control and prepare for the judgment to come. He told Felix about some very important spiritual issues. And after hearing Paul's preaching, the scripture said, remember, if you remember that, that Felix trembled. He trembled after hearing Paul's preaching, but due to his own greed and his desire to please the Jews, he left Paul imprisoned. He left Paul locked up in a jail cell. In fact, he left Paul locked up for two more years. It wouldn't be until the next governor, Festus, that Paul's case would be seriously considered again. You see, once Festus becomes the next governor after Felix, one of the first things that Festus does is he reopens Paul's case. He actually makes a trip. He makes a trip from Caesarea Maritima up because of elevation up to Jerusalem. He goes from Caesarea to Jerusalem to meet with the Jewish leaders. And when they meet with Festus, one of the things that, that the enemies of the gospel and the members of the Sanhedrin want him to do is they want him to bring Paul back to Jerusalem for another hearing. They want Festus to transport Paul back to Jerusalem so that they can bring closure to his case but what they really want to do is they want to kill him. They want to kill Paul. They want to assassinate him along the way. And Paul certainly knows about this. In fact, this is why after appearing before Festus and after seeing that Festus was, was really concerned with pleasing the Jews and he wasn't going to bring him any justice, because the apostle Paul had Roman citizenship, he appealed his case to Caesar. He appealed his case to the most important political figure in the empire. And I'm going to tell you something. That's a big deal. That is a really big deal what the Apostle Paul does. You see, during this time, history tells us that there were only a small percentage of people in the Roman Empire, no more than 20 percent, who actually had Roman citizenship. And the Apostle Paul is one of those people. The Apostle Paul 
is among the small percentage of people in the Roman Empire at this time who was actually a legal Roman citizen, and that allowed him the privilege of appealing his case to the Caesar. This would be similar to us being accused of, of a crime and we're able to take that accusation right to the president. We can go right to the president's desk. We don't have to go through the courts. We don't have to go through the legal system that we have in place. No, we can take our case right to the president. That's the kind of stuff Paul is doing here. Paul has Roman citizenship, and this allows him to bypass a lot of different things and go right to the Roman emperor. But before he gets to the emperor, Festus wants him to appear before one more person. Festus wants him to appear before King Agrippa. Who's King Agrippa? Well, King Agrippa is one of the more interesting people that we can read about in the book of Acts. He was part of the royal Herod family. In fact, he is the son of the Herod who killed the apostle James in Acts chapter 12. And he's the great grandson of Herod the Great. He is the great grandson of the Herod who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. He also was very familiar with Judaism. He was very familiar with what the Jews believed and what they practiced, and he was familiar with their scriptures. In fact, one of the responsibilities that had been given to him by the Roman Empire was he could, he could select the high priest. He was considered sort of an expert ruler in Judaism, and Festus wants his help. Festus wants him to listen to the Apostle Paul. He wants him to check out Paul, interrogate Paul, and then give him some information that he can write to the emperor before sending Paul to Rome. In fact, that is exactly what this whole chapter is all about. This whole chapter we're going to read this week, Acts 26, it is all about this dramatic hearing that the Apostle Paul has before Agrippa. It's about Paul being brought before Agrippa and Paul giving Agrippa and some other very important people a very powerful speech. It's about Paul talking with these people about his background as a Jew and a persecutor of the church. And it's about him talking with them about his conversion to Jesus after seeing the risen Savior on the Damascus Road. And it's also about Paul telling them about his ministry. It's about Paul telling them that he was appointed by Jesus to be a minister, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And in this speech, Paul also says some things about the law and the prophets. He says that in the writings of Moses and in the writings of the prophets, the redemptive work of Jesus was foretold. In the writings of the prophets, it was foretold that the Messiah was going to suffer and he was going to die and he was going to be raised and, and he was going to provide a way for salvation even to the Gentiles. This is a very powerful speech that the Apostle Paul gives in this chapter. And at the conclusion of this speech, Agrippa says some of the saddest words that are found in all the Bible. He says, I almost was persuaded. You almost persuaded me. You almost persuaded me to become a Christian and a follower of Jesus. Question, how should we take Agrippa's words here? How should we take these words? You almost persuaded me to become 
a Christian? Well, most scholars, most scholars take his words to be sarcastic. They take his words to be kind of mocking Paul, making fun of Paul, saying to Paul, do you really think you're going to persuade me? Do you really think you're going to persuade me to become a Christian after just one sermon? You're coming on kind of strong right now, Paul. You see, most scholars take Agrippa's words to be words of sarcasm. But what if, just what if, what if they were not? What if they were not sarcastic at all? You see, some translations render this verse, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? What if that wasn't the case at all? What if Agrippa really was almost persuaded? What if he was almost persuaded to become a Christian? What kinds of things could have stood in his way and also stand in the way of a lot of people today become fully, becoming fully persuaded to follow Jesus? Well, I want to give you about three things, about three things to think about. I want to give you three reasons why some people are not fully persuaded to follow Jesus. And one thing that keeps people from being fully persuaded it's because they're unwilling to stop living for themselves. They're unwilling to stop living for themselves. Another way we could say that is for a lot of people, they're not willing to follow Jesus because they don't want to stop living sinful and evil and wicked lives. They don't want to stop doing the deeds of the flesh. You know those deeds of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5? I'm going to Galatians, the fifth chapter, and here the apostle Paul talks about the deeds of the flesh. He talks about the works of the flesh, and he says in Galatians 5 and verse number 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity and sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, faction, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, for a lot of people, they don't want to follow Jesus because they don't want to give this stuff up. They don't want to give up the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. They don't want to give up the pleasure that comes from these kinds of things. Paul also puts it this way in Colossians. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, as the apostle Paul talks about what is involved in becoming a Christian, the Christian lifestyle. And he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5, Colossians 3, verse 5, Therefore, when you come to Christ, consider your... Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it is because of these things the wrath of God or the judgment of God will come upon the sons of disobedience and them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. What's the Apostle Paul saying there? Where there Paul is saying that being a Christian, being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus involves stopping sinful evil, and wicked living. 
It involves stopping evil behavior and evil practices. It involves ceasing from a selfish lifestyle that's all about me and all about what I want to do and how I want to live my life and understand that God has a standard for my life. God has a will for my life. God has things that he says are right and things he says are wrong. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I got to stop doing the wrong stuff. I got to stop the sinful stuff. I got to stop the wicked stuff. I got to stop the lying. I got to stop the watering down, the seriousness of lying. I got to stop the immorality and the participate in the things that are impure. I got to stop living an uncontrolled and an undisciplined life. I got to stop having an uncontrolled temper. And I got to stop having uncontrolled speech and I got to stop making those idols for myself like we talked about last Sunday. And I got to stop being full of pride and arrogance and I got to stop being unkind. And I got to stop being unloving and I got to stop doing the things that allow me to compromise my sobriety and I may need to get out of an unlawful marriage. I may need to stop trying to be like the world and fit in with the world and try to receive praise and commendation from the world. I may need to remind myself that friendship with the world, it cannot coexist with friendship with God. It cannot lead to fellowship with God. It cannot make me a true, authentic and genuine follower of Jesus. You see, like so many people in our world today, maybe, just maybe, Agrippa wasn't fully persuaded to follow Jesus because he didn't want to stop living for himself. He didn't want to stop being selfish. He didn't want to stop living the kind of life that was all about him and all about what he wanted to do and live for the Lord. Maybe he didn't want to stop the the evil things and start doing the good things. Maybe he was unwilling to stop living for himself. And also he was unwilling to live for the Lord. You know, while it did seem like he believed some of the things that Paul was saying about the Lord, right? While, while it seemed like he knew some of the scriptures and he was somewhat of an expert in the scriptures and he even believed some of the scriptures, he wasn't willing to take the next step and submit to the scriptures. He wasn't willing to do the scriptures. He wasn't willing to act on what the scriptures demanded. Paul puts it this way. If you're still in Colossians 3 and in verse number 10, remember verse 9, he talked about putting off the old self. In verse 10, he talks about putting on the new self. The new self. That's the born again person. That's the new creature. That's the person who's, who's involved in new living. I've given up that old sinful lifestyle, and now I'm going to live for the Lord. Now I'm going to do the things that the Lord has told me to do. I'm going to live a renewed life. I'm going to live a life that reflects the one who created me. That's what Paul talks about in verse number 10. And Jesus puts it this way in Luke, the 14th chapter. In Luke, the 14th chapter, look at verse number 27. If you remember, we, we studied these verses a couple of weeks ago in our Bible class. And in Luke, the 14th chapter, and in verse 27, Jesus talks about discipleship, discipleship. And Jesus says in Luke 14, 27, 
Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to, in, to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, so then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all of his possessions. What's the Lord, what's the Lord talking about there in those verses? What's the Lord talking about in these verses? Well, we know what the Lord is talking about here. Here the Lord is talking about He's talking about commitment. He's talking about commitment. He's talking about dedication. He's talking about allegiance. He is saying that following him involves counting the cost. We got to count the cost. We got to have some forethought. We got to make sure we understand what we're getting involved in when we make decisions to follow Jesus. This is something that we do all the time in our lives, right? I mean, for those of us who are married, for those of us who are married, before we marry the love of our lives, before we got married, before we said, I do, we first count the cost, right? We count the cost of that decision. We also do that before buying a house. You don't buy a house before you first make sure you can afford it. You count the cost. You do, this, you do this before you buy a car. You do this before you decide what kind of profession you're going to go in. You do this before you decide which college you want to go to. We're even going to do this today when it comes to picking, picking the restaurant we're going to go eat at after services. I mean, if I got McDonald's money, I'm not going to try to go to Red Lobster. You count the cost. We count the cost. We do that all the time in our lives. We do it every single day. We're going to do it today. And Jesus says, you got to do this before becoming a disciple. You got to count the cost. You got to understand that there's more involved in being a disciple than just merely believing in him. There's more involved in this than just having some mental ascent or getting wet in a baptistry or just hearing a sermon like Agrippa did. You see, those who truly follow Jesus, they commit themselves to doing everything that he says. Doing all of his will, doing everything that he requires in the gospel. They commit themselves to doing things like being part of a local church. And making sure that they do their best to gather with that church every first day of the week to worship him and worship the father. They commit themselves to being faithful to their commitments. Faithful to their spouse, faithful to their parents, faithful to their creditors, faithful in raising their kids. Treating other people like they want to be treated. Being generous with their blessings, being conscious of their conduct and example in front of the world, living with the mindset of a servant, practicing the fruits of the spirit, being willing to zealously share their faith with other people. All of that is part of being a disciple. All of that is part of being a Christian. 
is part of counting the cost. We got to count the cost of discipleship. Counting the cost requires understanding that when I come to Jesus, I got to live a certain way. I got to think a certain way. I got to do my best every single day to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, treat people like Jesus, serve the father like Jesus. I don't just stop doing evil things. I also start doing the right things. I do what's right. I do all the scriptures demand. I do the entire will of God like Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 21. And maybe Agrippa wasn't willing to do that. In fact, I think it's pretty obvious he wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't willing to stop living for himself. And he wasn't willing to, to live for the Lord. And let's just close with this. He also wasn't willing to wear the name of Christ. Wear the name of Christ. You see that, that verse there, Acts 26, 28. Agrippa replied to Paul after hearing his great speech in a short time. You will persuade me to become a Christian, a Christian. Focus on that, on that term, that name Christian. You know, that name Christian is probably the most common name used to describe God's people today. But we need to understand it's not used often in the Bible. It's not used often in the Bible at all. It's only used three times in the Bible. It's found in Acts 11.26. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Remember that? Peter uses it in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16 when he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And then you find it here in Acts 26 and verse 28. In fact, it is very likely that in this text, the name Christian is not being used to talk about some positive in Agrippa's mind. Instead, he's probably using it in a very demeaning way. A very demeaning way. You see, many New Testament scholars agree that the suffix at the end of this word is something that was put on the end of a lot of demeaning names in the first century. You see, if you followed a certain individual, and that individual was very popular, was well-known, and maybe not even respect it that much, the people who followed that person would have to wear their name. They would wear their name. In the case of Christians, it is said, it is believed that this word Christian was used by the world to identify followers of Jesus. It is not the new name given to God's people that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 62. Now, you may hear that said often, but Isaiah even tells us what that name is in Isaiah 62 and verse 4. This is not what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 62. That is an abuse and an assumption of that text. This word here is not a word that God was calling his people and the Old Testament prophets. Instead, this is a word. This is a name or a term that the world used in the first century to describe God's people. It is a reflection of how the world saw those who followed Jesus. When the world 2,000 years ago witnessed and saw God's people, they identified them as being with Christ. They identified them as being followers of Christ. They identified them as those 
Christ people, not Platonians or those who follow Plato, not Paulinians or Johnians. Instead, they were Christinians. They were Christians. They were those who followed Jesus Christ. The people in the world recognized that these were Christians. And that's what the world needs to recognize about us today. That's really all the world needs to recognize about us today. Today, when people in Phoenix, Arizona see us and ask who we are, they need to know that we are Christians. We are Christians. We're not Church of Christ Christians. We're not Monta Vista Christians. We're not Church of Christers. No, we're simply Christians. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. We're followers of Jesus. We place the emphasis not on Monta Vista, but on Jesus. It's on Jesus, not ourselves. You see, the world used this term to kind of mock and insult followers of Jesus, but what they didn't realize is they were actually giving them the biggest compliment they could give them. They recognized them as Christians, followers of Christ. And Agrippa was not willing to wear that name. He wasn't willing to be a Christian. He wasn't willing to do what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, and that, it, that is suffer the shame that is often attached with being a Christian. He says he was almost persuaded to, but sadly he wasn't. And the question is, what about, what about you? What about you and your life? Are you willing to count the cost and follow Jesus and wear his name in Acts 26 and verse 29, if you remember there, Paul said that he wished that Agrippa and everybody who was listening to him became a Christian. Remember he said that? He says, I wish everybody would become a Christian. I wish everybody was saved. But most importantly, not only did Paul wish that, God wants that. God wants everybody to become a Christian. God wants everybody to be saved. But unfortunately, Agrippa didn't have the same concern for his own soul that God did. The question is, if you're not a Christian, will you learn from Agrippa's mistake? Will you go beyond being almost persuaded to fully persuaded? Will you believe in Jesus, turn away from your sins, and obey his commandment to be baptized for the remission of, the, of your sins? If you will do those things, you will become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and if we can help anyone in any way with that, come to the front right now as we stand and we sing together.